From Sydney Media in Melbourne, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Welcome to Great Minds Don't Think You Like. You're on Sin this, you're, and you're with Sarah. And you're with Julia. And today we're going to be talking about stimming. And we're also going to be talking about the incident with the cage in schools. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're a fortnightly podcast um, and we also have a Facebook page. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash Great Minds on Sin, which is one word. Um, we're also on Twitter, and that is at GMDTA Media. But first, here's a segment. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about stimming. And one reason why we wanted to talk about this is because we felt that it's something that no one really talks about. Yeah, it's, and it's also something that, like, if you say stimming, probably a lot of people might not know what that actually means. Okay, so, so stimming is the repetitive movement of like a part of the body or an object in order to create self-stimulation yeah and it can people can do it like to calm like to calm down or if they're bored or if they're thinking so yeah it's sort of it's a bit like fidgeting or something so Mm. sometimes you know you might you might tap your knee a lot you might twirl your hair it can be a lot of different things Mm. what are some examples of what people do um, sometimes people like flap ju- their hands, tap their feet up and down, or yep. Um, sometimes you might just be tapping on like the t- <laughs> you might just tap on tables or tap on yourself. So mm-hmm. sometimes you tap on your knee sometimes, or something. Yep, lip biting. Lip biting. I do that. Yep, definitely. Um, when I was a kid, I used to jump up and down a lot. Spinning is also a thing. I yeah. was really into spinning when I was younger. Yeah, spinning. Yeah, it was really cool. I recommend it. How did you do that without getting dizzy? <laughs> I liked the, I liked getting dizzy. It was yeah. really fun. I remember oh. like when I was like a little kid, I'd just be like in the middle of an oval just spinning. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'd be throwing up. <laughs> um, I That's guess yeah. I think I, I definitely play around my, with my hair a lot, mm. especially because it's curly. So it's sort of really fun to mm-hmm. play around. Yeah. Um, I guess... You know, like, stimming is actually a very, very broad spectrum of what can be considered stimming. And for Mm. a long time, I was like, ah, you know, you kind of think that you have to do something very obvious to be stimming, but that's not necessarily true. Mm. Um, So I noticed that I tap my fingers a lot. That's technically stimming. I never thought about it like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I guess one thing is that it doesn't necessarily mean, mean like, flapping your hands or anything. It can be tapping your fingers. Yeah. yeah. So why do why do people with autism stim, Julia? I don't actually know. It's just a thing. I think it's mainly a calming mechanism. I'm sure it's on Wikipedia. Let's look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, why, why do you, why did why do you think you would stim? Because like, I know sometimes it's something you can do when you're bored or when you're like excited. It just sort of feels like there's this build-up of kinetic energy inside you and, like, you yeah. have to do something with it. I mean, I find it really difficult to watch the TV um, without doing anything. Mm. And um, so I notice that I play on my phone a lot. So, like, even just, like, just tapping on my phone if I'm playing a very simple game. Um, yeah, like something to just do with your hands. Yeah, mm. exactly. Sometimes I just need to play with something or else I'll just, I just feel really awkward. Mm. Um, I've noticed that I do it more or when I'm stressed. 
Yes, yes. And I, I think that's the same for everyone. Like, how many times do you see someone, like, tapping their fingers and they're stressed or bouncing yep. their knee? Yeah. I guess for people with autism, that's something that we do, like, all the time, not just when we're stressed. Yeah, I think it's sometimes happy, it's sometimes bad, it's... Mm. Um, sometimes bored. <laughs> sometimes bored. Like, um, I definitely notice that, especially, I, I go to, I go to, like... I study art at uni and I remember this one time where they're discussing um, this artist who like does really gross stuff to his body. Like he, yep. <laughs> like, like he actually planted like an ear on his like... Oh, I remember that guy. Yeah. And yeah. He, he like, he just does lots of things that will really hurt. And I remember discussing it and I was just like, like, uh, I can't see what I was just doing when I was yeah, just gesturing, yeah, but just, I was just um, like... Moving your hands Like out. kind of just like, you know... Shaking your um, hand? Yeah, sort of just yeah. like almost fanning myself, just being like, mm. "Oh my god!" So I'm, I'm, if I'm really like, I'm easily grossed out about gore, so <laughs> I tend to be like that quite a lot. Um, but a lot of the time, I'm just, I'm just bored, so I just like move, move yeah. a bit. Um, and also, if you're thinking, like, I notice that sometimes when I'm like writing an essay, like I'll be moving my foot a lot. Mm. Um, have you ever tried to like not do that? It's hard. Um, it's really hard. And I think it's also like it's not really a big deal. Mm. So not many people notice it. Yeah. Um there is one thing I should mention is that stimming is a very very broad thing. Mm. Um so what me and Sarah's prob- what we've said are fairly benign forms of stimming. <laughs> um there are people who like if they're really really stressed can do self-injurious um, things which um, like that's probably some. I think that's where you draw the line. If you're going to mm. hurt yourself through stimming, don't. don't do it. Or um, channel your energy through a different way, please. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and it might just be people who've been trying not to stim, then they get to a point where it just builds up, and then they yep. do something bad. Um, so if there's a way that you can stim in a way that is safe. Um, Please do so. Please do so. Um, I've got a friend, and I, I know that he sort of likes um, chewing things. Oh, yeah. Like chewing gum and hmm. stuff. Chewing gum's a lot better than pens. <laughs> yeah. So I've noticed that. So it's really quite a broad, broad thing. Mm. Anyway, we're going to be discussing more about stimming later on in the show, including um, different ways people have tried to make um, stimming more socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've given you quite a good overview of what stimming is in a nutshell. So, yeah. See you soon. (laughs) See you soon. This is Nicola Howe, and today I'll be talking about Sugar Motor from Glee and why using your disability as an excuse for inappropriate and rude behaviour is unacceptable and damaging to the disability community. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Glee. It's one of my fave TV shows. However, when I first heard Sugar saying the words, I have self-diagnosed Asperger's Syndrome, so I can do whatever I want, I paused my DVD and was in shock. I was speechless. I am aware Glee is a quote-unquote comedy, but... Seriously? This statement is not only disgusting, but also downright offensive. For one, self-diagnosing autism is quite problematic, 
While there are other people who do not have the ability to get the diagnosis or assessment due to financial issues and other issues, who may think they could be autistic, self-diagnosis is unreliable and often based on stereotypes of autism, including harmful stereotypes such as quote-unquote rude and not actual autistic traits that people are diagnosed by. Also, self-diagnosis can unfortunately stigmatize legitimate diagnosis of autism and make people think it's not a real condition. It's like, it's, in Glee, it's like Sugar was using her self-diagnosis as an excuse to get her away from trouble. Thankfully, this isn't a running joke and was only used once or twice, but she was still a concerning and offensive character in the show in my opinion. This is where I get to the next topic. I have heard and seen on the internet a lot, and a few times face to face, people using their disability as an excuse for their behaviour and using it as a get out of jail free card, when really people shouldn't be doing that at all. If you clearly did the wrong thing and clearly messed up, then no, sorry, it's no excuse. You are at fault with your own behavior, not your disability. In certain circumstances, depending on the situation, I can understand. But in general? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I apologize if I come across as harsh or mean, but as someone with autism myself and also learnt this myself a long time ago, it's just silly that people use it as an excuse to get away with doing the wrong thing. It's just offensive to people like me who are trying to do good and better as a person and are aware when doing the wrong thing and not using the disability as an excuse. If you do the wrong thing, you are responsible for your actions, and that's a hard fact. It undermines the hard work people disabilities do to be good people, even when it's difficult. And that's why I hate characters like Sugar Motor, because it's like Glee saw everyone with a disability like this. I know it's not the case, I mean, it's Glee, but it sure felt like it. I'm Nicola Howe. Thanks for listening to my segment. And remember, people with disabilities work hard, and we shouldn't be seen as quote-unquote making excuses. But if we are doing the wrong thing, it's our own fault and nothing more. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike. See you next time. Hi there, you're with Julie and Sarah again, and we've been talking about stimming earlier on in the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sarah um, and I just sort of thought about... Um, society's perceptions of stimming Mm. and how I guess when you're a kid and if you have autism you stim yeah and sometimes that happens in scenarios where it's not meant to happen yeah say spinning around in the middle of a shopping center probably not a great probably not a great idea and possibly dangerous as well if you get really Mm. really um dizzy and then you like bump into something (laughs) Yeah, your parents probably don't want to pay for that. I can see that catastrophe happening. (laughs) Yeah. So, I guess you grow up with this idea that stimming isn't something that you're meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's kind of like a pervasive thing of like, oh, stop playing with that toy. Or, you know, look at what you're... Look at the teacher, sit up. Don't fidget. Don't fidget. Put Um, your hands under your knees or something. But, like, I mean, like, another thing that I've noticed that could probably be stimming that a lot of people are against is doodling. 
And apparently, I remember reading something, and I don't remember where, so I can't properly quote it, but apparently, um, apparently, like, you know, just doing silly drawings, Mm. that can actually help out with your memory. And when I was in year 12, I made a point of doodling, and then when I... Looked at the doodles. I'm like, oh wow, that's when I. That's when we're talking about Lennon, you know. Like, <laughs> it was a really good way to actually remember things. So I mm. guess, but people seem to look at those behaviours as being unattentive. Mm. But I guess for many autistic people, they're not. They're not. They're natural behaviours that a person wants to do, and it's not a bad thing to yeah. stim. It, and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Obviously, there are situations where. We don't stim. Yep. Such as, you know, in a shopping centre. And or it a depends on, like, what the action is. And, of course, like, as we said earlier, if it's something that is dangerous, then... Please don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, but, like, or find an alternative to doing that, mm. which is... I know when I was a kid, my parents brought me a trampoline, and that was, like, my favourite toy for ten years. <laughs> it was fantastic. So, you know, there's lots of outlets for that physical energy that you can sometimes have, and yeah. that might be pumping weights or swimming or riding um, your bike or going whatever. Going for walks is really mm. good. Um, pacing is great as well. Yeah. Um, and also that's the thing. Like, I tend to notice that I pace a lot when I'm thinking about things or mm. if I've got an idea. Maybe even dancing if you have some music at home. Exactly. Um, one thing I've noticed quite recently is that there's been a bit of a boom of stim toys and stim jewellery, mm. which are... Um, Toys and jewellery that are specifically designed to be played with. And um, this ranges from, I, I saw this thing on this website, um, where it's bubble wrap. But what oh. it's like, it's like it feels like bubble wrap, but it's on your phone. So it's like phone cover that you can pop like bubble wrap. And it's like never-ending bubble wrap. You could sell that to so many people. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm also like, I feel like this is something that... I would love that. This goes outside of the niche of autistic people. Yeah. Um, there are so many people who would so dig that. Who doesn't like popping bubble wrap? I don't know, and I don't want to know them. <sighs> you know what's great? If you have, like, bubble wrap and you walk on it, so you've got so much really? that you can walk, it's really cool. That would be so much fun. I want all my walls to be made of bubble wrap now. <laughs> you can just, like, poke the walls. <laughs> yeah, so there's stuff like bubble wrap, and there's also things like putty that you can buy, so, mm-hmm. like, modelling clay. Um, I've noticed that I play a lot with, like, blue tack if I happen to have it. Oh, yeah. Um, so, like, it's or kind you, of... Or you could just get some blue tack from Officeworks. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's, like, a sparkly one-on-one that kind Ooh. of, you know, changes colour cool. a bit. funky blue tack. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then there's also jewellery. So mm-hmm. there's um, necklaces with bits that you can actually chew on. So if you're into chewing things, that works. Mm-hmm. Um, there are these toys that move around. So like little... Oh, okay. That you can twist. Yeah. Little toys ones. that you can twist. Yep. And there's um, rings that you can spin and all these things that are really kind of cool. And it's kind of interesting that this has become like um, a bit of a market. Mm. Which is really cool. And um, I'm currently studying a unit at uni um, about jewellery. And a lot of what we talk about is actually like how jewellery fits on your body and how it moves with your body. Mm. And it's actually really interesting because, you know, forget, forget the autism bit. Like a lot of people are really interested in um, things that they can wear that moves or that they can move um, or play with. Um and I see it's just stylish and kind of fun. 
Mm. And I think you made a almost like a bracelet that wrapped around the hand. Yeah. And when you moved, it rattled. Yeah. So I, for my latest assignment, I made a series of jewellery with little straws that move. Mm-hmm. And um, I made a necklace, a bracelet, um, a thing that you sort of wear on your hand, like a mm. wrist. like it kind of wraps around your wrist and your finger. Yeah. It yeah. wraps around your fist and your finger and your finger and then I also made a thing that's a brooch and has the same little um gadgety thing that moves around and it was really like fun to make and um there was so a person could stim so to speak and they would have um a bracelet that will rattle at the same time exactly which would be quite satisfying for some people yeah and also yeah. um like I remember seeing a, a a girl in my uni and she um was doing honours and there was she made this ring that spins around. That's cool. So there's like a little um, bit of um, stone that you can kind of move around. So it's kind of like kinetic jewellery is like seen as a cool thing outside of the <laughs> autism community and I think that's really nice and very like... Um, so there's a dual usage for kinetic jewellery. Yeah. So not only does it look cool but... People with autism can use it to stim. <laughs> exactly. Or if people just like fidgeting with things. And yeah. um, people who just think it's a cool thing to do. And like, I feel like it's nice that it's kind of fashionable. Mm. Okay, so before we go, I'd just like to reiterate that stimming is nothing to be ashamed of. It's perfectly normal for people with autism to stim. As I guess as long as it's in a way that's, I guess, controlled and safe, then it's absolutely fine and so it's nothing that you should be ashamed about Mm. yeah yeah definitely and it's um and like you know it's probably like I guess it's something that you know if you steam in a way that is more noticeable so say if you clap your hands that people might point it out but at the same time you know you should kind of not really pay it much like Mm. You know, don't worry about if it. If you have to do that. something, that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's just part of who we are. Exactly. Mm. And you're with Sarah and Julia. Hello there, listeners, and you're listening to Great Minds with Christian and Cal. So I was very, very fortunate enough, uh, I think for, like a month ago now, to be cast in, have my first paid acting role in an indie feature film um, as the lead. So yeah, straight to the top, in a sense. It's quite, <laughs> quite intense. Um, Jeez, you need to get yourself an agent. That's some shit. I know, I know. And yeah, I will also mention, like, first of all, what what probably helped is that the character is a 20 year old autistic guy, and I wanted an actual autistic actor to play him, which is fantastic. Again, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not so much I'm not so much hung up about it because you know it's acting. It is. I know. I know. I know. The The entire act itself is just like, hey, you have to act like this person, and you're not. And I, I, again, know, I, I know. I don't understand the argument. You say you must get autistic people to play autistic. You don't roles, have to. You, but you must the... get gay people to play gay roles. I'm like, uh... well, you don't have to. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 um it's just great to have uh you know, autistic actors on screen in general. I, I mean, I you know, I, I, mean, I guess what you know, why not? Like um like I you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying you should always do it, but the fact is, it basically never happens. They they always get non autistic actors to play autistic characters. Um, mm. I guess you could call it transformation porn as opposed to inspiration porn that you sometimes see. Yeah, this but whole... again, this is this is about acting. 
the entire purpose by itself is... It is. It runs but, non-sequitur to the argument. Well, yes. But, but, I, but I mean, a, you know, a physical or mental disability or a sexuality doesn't make up an entire character. Yeah, so obviously. purely by you know, seeming autistic if you're not autistic, that's not, that's not acting. That's part of... Well, that's not like creating a, com- a complete character. That's part of the character, but it's not all of it. Like, so, yeah, my character, Jeffrey, and I are both autistic, but there are lots of things that we don't have in common. Right. Like, he's in denial about the fact that he's autistic. Uh, um, so there's many, actually many, many times in this film where I have to say I'm not autistic, believably, which is actually easier than you might expect because mm. I can remember what that was like, the whole... There's nothing wrong with me. I don't need a diagnosis. I'm perfectly fine the way I am. Um, yes, yes, there's some things that I'm crap at, but who isn't crap at certain things? Yes, I have a certain social awkwardness, but you know, it's not as if everyone knows everything they're doing so at any one it, time. Anyway, yeah. So how <laughs> is the role, anyway? How is the role? Yes. Well, quite quite challenging in some respects, but also, like, you know, I I I, I think it, it fits me quite naturally like he's a very he's a very very smart guy he's one of those that kind of just ruddles off like all these philosophical speeches based on stuff he's read like McNaughton's rule and um sounds like na- nature versus nature versus nature actually yeah reminds me a lot of you um yeah but so, I, I don't know the yeah. fact that I'm autistic <laughs> which is I suppose it's sort of just like the only compulsion to the story might be that you know his self-perception that his autism might be holding him back Mm, yeah. I've always, I've always had that perception in me because, uh, well, especially when I was younger, because you know, diagnosis, you, you tend to, cause like, I am self-aware enough to say I am a perfectly intelligent, reasonable human being. Why do I need all this other stuff to define what, or who, or what I am? I define who or what I am, not yeah. you. Mm. Um, well, the other interesting thing is that he doesn't like the autism label clearly, but what he yeah. wants to think of himself as is a savant. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing that you're, you share the same perception that I do. It's like savantism is, it's, it's a great gift and it's a great curse because when you are a savant, you are really good at one thing at the expense of all others. Which and I'm is... guessing this character is not a savant, even though he's probably describing himself as one. No, no, no. And he's not incredibly good at just one thing. There's a, there's a number of things. And he doesn't really... Well, like, I, I guess he's he's probably aware in the back of his mind of the, of the like, you know, something's got to give, the things that he's really, really bad at, the cost of his talents. But he's... Uh, yeah, he's, he's not... Well, he just thinks that the guidelines of a savant, of being a savant, are too narrow. Like, he goes, oh, you know, you have to be drooling at the mouth or crying if you're upset, if your routine's upset by five seconds. Yeah, but that's yeah. the price. Oh, I know, I know. I, I do not... Just, I completely disagree with what... Yeah, you know, he's not a savant. He's, he's, yeah. he's autistic. And if he's trying to say that there's nothing wrong with me, that's why you want savant is a better label, then he's clearly just one of those who has never met another autistic person. I, I guess you could put it that way. Yeah, maybe, but if he's going to meet other autistic people, then they might reinforce this notion. Some might. You, you'd yes. have to meet enough. Yes, you'd have to meet enough. But it's, it's quite likely that you, know, you meet a few autistic people, you're going to come across one that's not like the ones you've read about in books. It's yeah. one thing to read... To read about them in books is another thing to meet multiple autistic people. Yeah. Of course, like, me being the stereotypical Aspie that I am, yeah. uh, how, how's the whole process of, of being a lead actor going for you? I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's going quite successful. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I, think, I think I'm doing pretty well, like, taking direction on the spot, mm. and there's a certain amount of spatial awareness, of course, that's required. That's Don't look at the camera, yeah. don't look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, and, you know, make sure you stay in the shot if you have to, you know, remember your blocking and things like that. And 
I, I have had to... Well, there's a scene where the character has to smoke marijuana, so um, I didn't actually have to do it. But, oh, yeah, but, obviously, because, yeah, yeah. you know, that would be illegal. Be, yes, yes, yes. Um, but, you know, still, like, I did have to smoke something for the purpose of the, the scene. Yes. Um, so, but the issue with that, it was actually that the lighting of it was, you know, just operating fire, operating a match. Anytime, anytime I have to hold fire... Oops. A match, <laughs> not a lighter. Oh, we tried the lighter, yeah. but I was too clumsy with the lighter. Um, this is the other thing. I had to look like I'd been doing it for a while. I had to look natural. It had um, to look natural. Yeah. I was the same with like lighting a Bunsen burner at school. Just the minute you put fire in my hand, all I can think about is, okay, don't burn, my- don't burn myself. Don't burn myself. Don't burn myself. You dropped out of character for a moment um, there, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, other- God. Yeah. Panic, panic. Okay. <laughs> and any other thoughts, like, you know, any other priorities are just pushed aside so okay if i don't succeed at lighting this bomb that's fine because i will not burn myself wait hang on you had to you had to use a bong yeah jesus <laughs> that's what well yeah as i said if again if this were my movie and it's oh. not yeah i probably just imply it well i didn't actually have to light it myself in yeah. the end we worked out someone else lit it for me we just took the take from there after after it had been lit because yeah that's that's kind of the thing and like the director was pretty new to having to work around something like that like you know autism and motor dyspraxia but in, a, in many ways that's like you know that's a very good thing to have experience under your belt of working with people with people who are like that because they, he just couldn't figure out why it was so difficult for me. But, you know, parts of it make sense. Like, it's not that... It almost is a phobia, but of all the phobias you could have, a phobia of fire... Yes, it's probably the most logical. Yes! <laughs> but, yeah, fire for me was is a sensory thing. Well, so. the, the problem is that, you know, fear is accentuated by the fact that... I know that, at least inside autistics, that sometimes most of the problems that you probably have is autistics not understanding their own feelings fear so what do you do in order to get into the character of jeffrey is it it depends on like what what moment we're talking about but a lot of it is kind of just like rewinding the clock back for me like five years like sort of just uh reducing my um my understanding of well autism but you know certain certain other things because he's quite he's quite cynical in many ways jeffrey like, he has a lot of, um, nature. There would be an ecclesiastic opposition there, because it's <laughs> yeah. like, how can a man, mm. once he knows, not know? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it's, it's just kind of just dialing it back to the way I used to think about the world. There's, he has a lot of nature versus nurture sort of discussions. He sees the two of them as sort of working in combination, obviously. So it's like, okay, nature gives you one thing, and then your nurture solidifies it. Ah, okay, radio. He does believe strongly that, like, science and religion are compatible. Basically, non-literal interpretations of the Bible kind of thing is what he sort of Oh, radio. Yeah. So he's kind of a theologian. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's but very... he's not a, yeah. a scholastic one. Scholastics, I just say you should read the Bible as it was written at the time, which, you know, tends to side itself with very literal interpretations of what, what certain things mean. Non-scholastic versions of theology, we were just like, okay, here's the story, like, here's Noah's Ark, what is the principle behind the story, rather than, you know, just the story itself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely my yeah. character, Jeffrey, yeah. Yeah. Um, How much, from your own experiences, do you source in order to play the character? It's, it's sort of half-half, I guess. So, from my own experiences, I would take... Like a, a certain degree of quirkiness, a certain degree of just kind of having fun going against social norms, just just kind of for the sake of it to see what happens. Difficult to pin down, but it is very much sort of drawing on like myself five years ago, and 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 as I am now, I I would say something of his moral principles, like you know, lying is generally a, not a good idea. It is, I guess, sort of, it's half half. So um, that was uh, me and Christian talking about 
acting, in the world of autism and acting. Stay tuned for more interpretations in the media through the lens of autism. Yeah. Hi everyone, we're going to be talking about a fairly heavy topic right now. Um, we, we are going to be talking about the incident of a boy in Canberra who was put into a cage at school. Understandably, this could be triggering for some of our listeners. Perhaps fast forward the show. So for people who don't already know the story, um, in April there, there the news came out that a an autistic boy was put into a cage at his school in Canberra. And this was quite horrifying at the time because, you know, people, cages, that doesn't really work. Mm, people were quite horrified at the idea of a cage. And you were just showing me some pictures of it, Julia. It's in this corner. It's in the corner of a room. Yeah. It's blue and... It's quite well made. Is it made out of steel? Um, It looks hard. It looks hard. It's got these bars on it. I don't know if it's metal or plastic or whatever. Yeah, it's a metal cage. It's a metal cage. So there's metal blue bars that you can't squeeze through so they're close together and it's in the corner of a room and there's I don't know if they normally what was inside it but in the photo there isn't anything inside yeah it's just a plain cage on the floor it's fairly large I'd say that it's about two meters by two meter ish yeah like two meters cubed yeah, and yeah. Um, go to the ceiling. By the way, yeah, so doesn't go to the ceiling, ceiling on this cage. Fairfax found that it was built by an external contractor, and it cost um, five thousand one hundred and ninety-five dollars, and that came out of school funds, guys. So, mm. um, so it's a very expensive cage, but very expensive cage. I guess just the other thing, because if if you, listeners haven't if listeners haven't seen the cage, it's just blue. It's hard, like there's nothing inside it. It's very sparse. And if you were my size, like if you're an adult, you wouldn't be able to stand up in it. So it's quite constricting, the space. It's not a big space. So it's this little cage in the corner of a room in a classroom. And if a kid is not in a good space, I would say that metal could be something that, you know, they could bash into, Mm. which is actually quite dangerous as well, which... They yeah, so do we know what happened in this in this story? I believe the teachers put had a boy with autism. Yeah. And they had this cage built and they put him in the cage in order to be able to I guess control him. Yeah. To manage him. It stood for fourteen days in a school before it was ordered to be dismantled. Um and this was in March. So it lasted two weeks. It lasted two weeks, but yeah. an enormous amount of effort had been put into actually building it, mm. and a, like over five thousand dollars was used. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people who are um, who are defending the school are saying, "Oh, well, you know, they didn't have training to deal with autistic kids. They didn't have resources to deal with autistic kids." Kind of making it out like, "Oh, poor teachers." They had no resources. Well, the school spent over $5,000 on this cage. Mm. They could have easily gone to multiple seminars uh, about autism and educated themselves with that money. They could have... um, Set up a better room. Yeah. Like Like if the kid needs time out... Sorry, time out's a bad word. If the kid needs space... And the kid needs space where there is less sensory stimulation... There are so many, you know. They could have so just been using a library. To do it. Yeah. Um, like one thing that we should also mention is that 
yeah, there have been people who've said this that yes, um, sometimes autistic people or you know just kids in general need a quiet, sensory, neutral space mm. to just calm down and chill out if they're having sensory overload or if they're having a meltdown. And this is something we agree with. But guess what? A metal cage is not that kind of space. So um, majorly in the wrong here. I guess two things that concern me about this is not only the fact that the boy had to, I guess, go through the experience of being put in a metal cage. Which is incredibly, like, humiliating. Like you, can imagine, you can imagine what it would be like to be in there. Not only humiliating, but I imagine it was quite uncomfortable. Yep. Not too fun at all. But also the idea that... You know, teachers ha- were having difficulty with this kid and they thought, well, we don't know what to do. Let's put the kid into a cage. Wasn't a better solution out there? Usually if a kid or anyone actually is having a meltdown, there's a reason behind it. And it's not just that, oh, wow, they're crazy, so they're having a meltdown. It might be that the, no- the noise levels in the classroom might be too noisy and might mm. be difficult for the kid to concentrate in that room. It might be because they've got some emotional problems that they're dealing with at the time. Maybe they've been bullied. Maybe they've got something going on at home that they're upset about. Mm. Um, so I feel like people should actually, rather than being like, oh, this person's doing it because they're autistic, yeah. um, actually think about, oh, okay, this room's too noisy for them. Obviously, these kids talk while they're um, doing their work, so how can we make sure that this kid doesn't have a meltdown and um, disrupts work? Okay, maybe maybe we should get another teacher, take the kid to the library so they can do the work quietly. Yeah, or even, say, a sick bay, which schools have. They've got beds. Yep. Tend to be a bit darker. Yeah, um, and I also find it really like horrifying that you know clearly for some kids having a quiet space that they can go and stay in is an important thing for not only their mm. learning but also just for their well being. Yeah, why make it a punishment? Like there should be a like and again it could be the library, it could be the sick bay, or it could be a cupboard that they could fix up and you know have mm. pillows and. And I guess Working spaces. if a person's having a meltdown, punishment isn't the correct way to deal with it. Exactly. I think, like, I don't, I don't know, like, about parenting kids <laughs> with autism, but I'm assuming that there are better ways to solve the problem other than putting a kid in a cage or punishing them or, I guess, yelling at them. And clearly, it's been a, a thing that's happened a lot in the classroom. So. Clearly, there must be something wrong with the classroom. Mm. That's why the kid is having these meltdowns. Mm. It's not just the kid's problem. The problem is that, much like any other kid at the school, this um, this child was there to learn. And I don't really see how putting a kid in a cage helps their learning at all. Mm. And it really shows that these teachers don't actually um, value the importance of this child learning to the same extent of their their fellow students, and yep. that's very, very concerning and very ableist. That's another thing that we need to discuss as well. Yeah, and I think also just remembering that meltdowns aren't necessarily something that's done on purpose. I, I think punishing a kid for it it's is like, really the wrong reaction. It's like punishing someone because they vomited because they were sick. Yeah, exactly, being sick and they can't help, being, help vomiting. Yeah, yep. so I think that's another thing. I mean, yes, it does look like they're having a tantrum over something, but there are reasons behind it and it isn't voluntary. Always. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't think that a kid wants to have a meltdown because no. it's quite distressing for them. Mm. Since this has transpired, the principal of the school 
has been sacked and she is no longer able to teach at any government-funded school in the ACT, which probably sounds like a win, but it... Julia, I believe you don't think it's a win. I don't think it's a... Ve- I don't think it's a win at all. I think it's not even, um, you know, like, this. in my opinion, this is a very, very lenient um, court ruling. And um, I question, like, say if this child wasn't autistic or wasn't disabled and they put a, another kid, so, like, a non-autistic kid, non-disabled kid. So we put a kid, a six-year-old who happened to be having a tantrum, and we put them in a cage. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that there would be more of an uproar. I think we would describe that as being cruel. I think we would, yeah. I think we wouldn't, I mean, we wouldn't even start to try to justify their actions, and I think a lot of people... Um, have been trying to just justify um, the actions of the school when really they shouldn't be because this school literally had resources to do better things. Um, so special schools usually, like there are some government-funded special schools, but there are also independent special schools. So um, she could teach at an independent school in the ACT. ACT is a very, very small part of the country. She could go to any other state, federal, like, I mean, government school, special school, whatever kind of school, and she could teach. Yeah, that's true. And that's very, very concerning. And it shows that this person doesn't have, you know, doesn't have the empathy to be a teacher. And that's, that's right. Doesn't have the um, problem-solving school skills to... Um, this is very, very ridiculous. It's a very, very ridiculous situation because, seriously, your child is acting up. This isn't mm. even the tenth thing like, that would come to mind. I don't know what mind. led to this cause, whether it was... A lack of funding, stigma about people with disabilities. I don't know the fact that the the kid couldn't attend a special school. I, I don't know what went wrong, but I think it shows how, I guess, with without proper ways of helping students who who have disabilities, we can have awful results like this. Yeah, and I, I mean, I guess I I'm very skeptical when they say, "Oh, we don't have funding because." Mm. Um, you know, there's no good intentions here and yep. there's an awful lot of money being, you know, you could have created, you could have done so much with that money, but they chose to make a mini jail um, in a school, which is, you know, sort of inhumane and stuff. So I think that's just a good little, um, what would we call that? <laughs> Discussion? Rant. Rant. <laughs> rant. Well, it's, it's a rant. No it's a very good rant. <laughs> um, so that's a little bit of a rant about why you probably shouldn't be making excuses for this school and um yeah there's no excuses for behave for actions which harm another person yeah that i think is yeah. the end of the story end of that's cage gate hi there you've been listening to great minds don't think alike and we've basically run out of time right now um so thank you so much for listening we'll have another podcast out in a fortnight if you want to see more of us you can check out our facebook page or you can look go to our twitter which is at gmdta media um we tend to share a lot of stuff on our facebook page um so yeah we share like previous um podcasts and um general articles about uh, I guess people with autism, autistic rights, um, neurodiversity, all the things, sometimes yep. disability stuff. Um, so yep. it's a great page with lots more information on it. I hope you've had a fab seg- segment this fortnight. We'll yep. see you in 14 days.